We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the first DTF podcast of the 2023 calendar year. My name is Rob Doster. Of course, I have with me Terrence Ogilvy. Of course, I have with me the one and only John Fanta, your favorite CAA broadcast team. I've been cut out of the crew. I don't get to show up for <laughs> sideline anymore. It is what it is. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll survive, I guess. But yes, it's Monday morning. It's January 2nd. All of us have recovered from our New Year's Eve uh I didn't really have a hangover. I was just tired when I woke up the next morning. But, um, you know, the holidays, we're past the holidays. We're here. It's uh, it's the real conference season, conference schedule. We're ready to kick it all off. Fanta, I'm going to you first on this one, man. How was your holidays? It was great? Great holidays. A lot of fun. Spent a couple of days in Ohio. Came back to New Jersey. Did things Rizzo style with uh, my fiance. A lot of really strong antipasts. I mean, if I put the antipots in a bracket, it would have been on the one line. It was it was fantastic, <laughs> fantastic to experience an Italian Christmas. And I'll tell you what, fellas, watched a lot of hoops. One of the things about being home for the holidays is when there is basketball on, you, you find yourself on the couch a little bit more during this period, and you can flip from different games, from game to game. So, man, I love this time of year. I love when the calendar turns to January because now – is when we are on a full sprint. We very rarely say from here on out, well, it's kind of a dead night because there's at least one or two games, at least, where you're saying there's interest there. There's mm -hmm. interest there. In fact, in the entire Big 12, Terrence Oglesby, there's interest in every game. Every single mm -hmm. game. Every single game. Now, to go along with you, I, Christmas was great. It was just uh, myself, my wife, and my kids, and my kids loaded up, uh, almost embarrassingly so. Like, we kind of have to get on the same page and, like, simmer down a little bit. They got so many things. Uh, Santa made his yearly appearance, but uh, my daughter grabbed the mask of Santa and yanked it all the way out to about right here. <laughs> 
and let go and just ruined Christmas. <laughs> I, I threw, I, I took, I took the presents back, took them all back. Uh, no, it was, it was great. And New Year's, you know, obviously with five and six year old, you don't really do anything, which is okay. Cause I, that's uh, what did Steve Forbes call it? Amateur night for drinkers. And I think that's a, that's a nice way to describe <laughs> New Year's Eve. So uh, not a whole lot going on, a whole lot of relaxing, being with the family and this is my favorite part of year as well, because, you know, football's done and we have what one, two, three, however many, many more games left. And then it's basketball season through and through uh, January, February, March. Let's go. Uh, the brunt of conference season is the most fun, too, because that's where a lot the majority of these rivalries uh, really get cooking. So it's the best time of year for us, at least. Yeah, it, it doesn't get better than conference play in college basketball season. Uh there's something, like you said, Fenta, there is always going to be a big story every night, which I think is the beauty of Field of 68 After Dark. My favorite thing about it is we can sit here and we can plan and we can say, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. This team is playing. This is probably going to be the best team of the night. And then all of a sudden you have a top 10 team going down at home to somebody you didn't expect, or you have some dude popping off for 45 points and you kind of have to adjust and you go and get this guy. It's just, I love everything about conference play. And look, Saturday, felt like the first time this year it was but it really felt like the first time that we had a big college basketball day um, yeah. everything was packed into that like four and a half hours before the college football playoff kicked off uh, which were wild unbelievable games by the way Saturday was an unbelievable sports day all around uh, I woke up on Sunday morning and my wife was like you realize that you you watch sports literally the entire day and entire night yesterday and I was like sorry yeah <laughs> no, no. it was an awesome day Hey, you want to know how big of a junkie that I am? We all are. Was playing some games uh, at, at the table, part of the New Year's Eve festivities, some some fun games and whatnot. And I had the phone up. I had ESPN Plus out. What, what were I you had, playing? Quarters? Flip Cup? We had we ball? had we had a game that was called Headband, where you put the word above your head. It's not password. You're asking questions to the whole rest of the table. The hourglass goes, and you've got about a minute and a half to to basically go through questions. You got to figure out what your what what the term is, if it's a person, place, or thing. Oh, we so had, it's like heads up. Yeah, it's like heads up. We had a game. We had a game where we had a cup on our stomach, and a ball that was hanging down. You had to flip it up to see if it could land in the cup. <laughs> There's a lot of hip action. Yeah, a lot of hip action. My hips were working. <laughs> my hips, my hips worked harder on New Year's Eve than they did in the 364 days of 2022. Oh. Having said, having said this, Rob, you said, and I know you'll love this. You said it was the four and a half hour window, right? I was watching the one notable night game on New Year's Eve, West Virginia and Kansas State, and I gotta hand it to you because you've been a big advocate. You've been talking about how much you've you've liked the Jerome Tang hire. On Saturday night, I became a full believer in Jerome Tang in Kansas State to fall behind 17-3 to to West Virginia against a Hall of Fame head coach in Bob Huggins and a West Virginia team that could play. To come back in that game, defend nonstop. Marquise Noel has been fantastic for the Wildcats. I mean, he's he's got back-to-back 30 bombs. He's been terrific for them. They defend relentlessly. And they never were out of the game. How many teams fall behind 17-3, to nor alone in the Big 12? They were 1-11 of 11 from the field. You're thinking, this game is over. No, it's not. 
Kansas State is an NCAA tournament team. They've played that caliber. That was a huge comeback win for them on Saturday night. The type of win that makes you say, Jerome Tang is the real deal, Robert Doster. Well, it also helps. And, and you know, we're kind of cutting into, uh, I had this whole rundown written out, T.O., and, and I'm sure Fanta has not even opened it up yet and hasn't even peeked at it. But one of the items on the rundown was Kansas State is going to make the NCAA tournament. So, you know what? We're just diving straight into it. It's the Monday Over Reactions podcast. We're getting straight into it. We're reshuffling the order here. But I was I'm, excited. No, you're right. But here's, here's the thing. You're 100% right about it. I wrote, I think Pitt. Penn State and Kansas State are all going to end up making the NCAA tournament this year. So we'll start with Kansas State. Um, I think there's there's two things that really have stood out to me. One is going out and finding Naquan Tomlin. T.O., you've been on this dude forever, right? Yep. You've been talking about this dude since before you even thought that Caleb Murphy was a pro on DePaul, right? This, that that yeah, was why, your first is, is he still hurt, Caleb Murphy? You There's know what it was? He heard he heard you say that he's going to be an NBA player, and he's like, I got to shut it down to protect my draft stock. <laughs> <laughs> Smart I'm kid. beginning to wonder if we'll ever see him. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Um, so, yeah, Naquan Tomlin, finding him, uh, bringing him into the fold, it was big. Uh, that dude has a lot of things to learn. Uh, like, I don't even think he really understands what sitting in a defensive stance is at this point, and he's not always in the right place, but he's just such a freak athletically that it doesn't matter. He can make up for everything, even at the Big 12 level. And the other part of it is um, Keontae Johnson is as good as he was before he dealt with the heart issue. He's the, be right? he's the best story in college basketball this season, in, in a season full of them. Like, he's got to be the best story. Yes, uh, he is. He, he absolutely is. is. And, and Noel, just to just to extend on him, like guys, in 43 minutes of basketball, 23 points, 10 assists, seven steals. He almost had a triple double with steals being the third element. You're right. Like they've got dudes. They've got a motivational factor. The little apple's gonna be fun. I mean, it's 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 really the other thing about it is when Frank Martin had it going, right, it was one of college basketball's very best atmospheres. Jerome Tang knows that league so well. You could tell uh, by the way that they they just matched up with West Virginia late in the game. He's not in over his head. He was ready for this. He was mm -hmm. built for this. And their personnel, you're right, they, they did a great job. And I think what we're noticing is in the case of Kansas State, in the case of Missouri, in the case of LSU, in the case of Penn State to a degree, even though it's year two for Shrewsbury, is that there are a lot of benefits to the portal for those programs who have been in the darkness because they could get somebody to accelerate everything back into the light. Mm -hmm. yep. You lose the, the advantage of the portals. If you use it the correct, the, the, the proper way, you lose the the time that it normally takes to develop freshmen into upperclassmen, right? You can go out and get those upperclassmen and have them impact right away. And part of the benefit of adding transfers is that you don't necessarily need some of like the pomp and the circumstance anymore, right? When freshmen come in, it's like bright lights, big city. You got to show stuff off to them on the recruiting visit. You want to keep them engaged. If they're not playing right away, you got to keep them impressed. Um, it's their first time playing college basketball. When you are a transfer 
for the most part, you're just coming in and you want to hoop, you want to play, you want to find the right fit. Because generally speaking, if you are leaving a program and trying to find another one, there's a reason why you're leaving it. Maybe you didn't like the coach. Maybe you didn't like the town. Maybe you didn't like the setting. Maybe you didn't play as well as you thought you would. Maybe it was just uh, you didn't get to go on the right recruiting visit because of COVID and it just didn't work, right? So you're looking for a fresh start and it's all about ball. It's not about all the other stuff. It's all about ball. Um, You mentioned Penn State. Um, actually, real quick, well, I want to ask you this, T.O. on Kansas. Yeah, well, State. Kansas State, like we forget Marquise Noel. Like, well, I just, let me old... let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I think you can make the argument that Kansas State's top three: Keontae Johnson, Naquan Tomlin, Marquise Noel, is as good as any top three of any team that there is right now in the Big Twelve. I think you can make an argument that Keontae Johnson is currently sitting second in the race when it comes to uh, the Big Twelve Player of the Year behind Jalen Wilson. Mike Miles is still playing pretty well now. TCU is still really good. Like that that's the thing about that league. It's crazy. Oh. Uh but like you think about the 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 top 3 players of each team. Look at Baylor's top 3. They're still figuring it out. Look at Kansas's top 3. Look mm-hmm. at Kansas State. Like it just see it's on and on and on and I I feel like out of those three at Kansas State, Noel's kind of been overlooked some because everybody knows about the great you know, Keontae Johnson story and how good he's been. Uh, Naquan Tomlin, at least everybody uh, within this organization of people. Uh, <laughs> we know about Naquan Tomlin because I've been beating it over everybody's head since the preseason. But Noel was a first-team all-defensive player in a Big 12 last year. Like, mm-hmm. that dude is a gnat. He bothers you. He sets guys up. He can get where he wants. He's a little undersized and in a league with a lot of big guards. He's up underneath those guys making people uncomfortable. Like, it's tough. And they beat a physical, physical West Virginia team, too. Like, go ahead, John. You know, to your point, because I can't help but think about this as you're breaking breaking these teams down. Guys, like, I go on the ESPN app, okay, every morning. And I start just looking at the upcoming days. And I, I internally, in my mind, I, I circle stuff. I'll circle games that I'm thinking to myself, that's a good game. I, I got to pay attention Pay close attention. Watch it closely. Guys, I, I, I don't have to look at the NCAA Division I schedule because I have enough time circling every single game in the Big 12. I'm not kidding you. It's insane. There's, there's not one game in that conference that is not interesting. And, and the fact is, some of their games end up, just being honest here, on the, the Big 12 now on ESPN+. Plus, like, there's going to be some great college basketball games that end up not being on linear TV, which is for a totally separate discussion. But my point is, like, that league is ridiculous. That league's second team is going to be is going to have players that would be first team in some of the other power leagues. And I would just go off that by saying this. I wonder, I wonder... Like, of course, you you want to be the king of your conference. The Big 12 tournament this year in Kansas City, this year in Kansas City, feels like, what, 2010 in the Big East when they got 11 teams in the NCAA tournament? That's what it's going to feel like there. They're legitimately, whoever finishes last, you're not going to feel like they have no shot to, to win the Big 12 tournament. You're not going to feel that way. Kansas City is going to be nuts during that conference championship. There's not a bad matchup. And there's teams that you easily could forget about. Like you said, T.O., like, let's not forget about Mike Miles. Let's not forget about Iowa State. Somehow, some way, the Wizard of Ots has reloaded Iowa State and the Cyclones the Wizard are back of as well. Like, well done. Oh. Well done. <laughs> it's crazy. That league is nuts, man. That yeah. league is nuts. 
yeah to to your point just to kind of put into context how tough it is and they're bringing houston in yes. i'm sorry but come on just to put into context how tough it is every school in that conference is ranked in the top 45 right now in the top 45 on ken palm kansas state is the worst team the i'm doing air culture the worst team in the big 12 <laughs> according to ken palm iowa state who just beat Baylor by 15, who has a win over Villanova, who has a win over North Carolina. They are the second worst team. They're 40, uh, 41st in Kempom. I'm going to put this all in the context, lay it all out for you. 42nd, 41st in Kempom, Iowa State. 42nd in Kempom, Wisconsin, a team you guys talked about last night, maybe the biggest contender to, uh, to Purdue in the Big Ten. Providence, 43rd. Penn State, 44th. Kansas State, 45th. Michigan State, 46th. Michigan, 47th. Think about that for a second. Four teams in the Big Ten that are all tournament teams are right there in the same range as the two teams that are the worst teams in the Big 12. The, the The level of play in that league is insane. Every conference game is going to be worth watching. There's not a single game in that league that is not worth watching. Is it crazy to say, and just tell me if it's crazy to say, please, that if you looked at the 10 Big 12 teams right now, that the team that actually is looking themselves hardest in the mirror, thinking about how are we going to figure all this out, is actually Baylor. I was going to say that too. Yeah, they're still trying to figure everything out. Those guards are hard, having a hard time like really oh. getting it together. Iowa State beat the brakes off of them. Yeah. Part of the issue is that LJ Cryer is not back yet. I think is it a, he's dealing with concussion. Um, so he's not back. Keontae George has... Uh, not quite come in at the level maybe that we expected for doing all of this, like to, for doing everything, right? He's a little bit inconsistent. He's a little bit inefficient. He's a little bit turnover prone. Um, and you combine all of that with the fact that they are not at the level defensively as you no- would normally expect a Scott Drew Baylor team, at least what the last couple of years have been. And we're seeing them kind of uh, underperform a little bit, maybe what expectations were at the start of the year. But Look, T.O., that backcourt, Flagler, Cryer, Keontae George, I don't want to see them in March. Yeah, Yeah. and it's still, what, 16 and a half, 15 and a half, 15. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, And they're the ones that are trying to still piece together everything. And it's that that league, man, top to bottom, every night, it's going to be a bloodbath. The team that I didn't think was going to be any good, Oklahoma, like Grant Sherfield has been terrific. And not only terrific, one of the most valuable players in the league. Now so it's, it's huh? Go keep going. No, it's it's every night, every night. I I just I wonder if West Virginia is going to uh, take a dip because I just don't see kind of where they're able to keep up outside of just making it an absolute jujitsu fest every day whenever they play. Well, that's what they do, and yeah, I, I, I remember I, I talked to Hugs back in June and. The big thing he said about this group, like he called he called out his team from last year, and was like they're soft. Um, I don't have the the quote directly in front of me from the Almanac, but he was basically like that was not the kind of team that we want. They were too soft. Uh, and this year, like these, that was the big thing. They weren't competitive dudes. Yeah, and this year he's got a whole bunch of competitive dudes that care about winning. So I'm I'm willing to bet that they. Uh, I said it before the season started. I'm willing to bet right now that they're going to be an NCAA tournament team just because of the fact that if Hugs likes his group. And has a bunch of dudes that want to fight with him. He's going to find a way to make that work. It doesn't. Well, let matter me ask you this: looks like. So, so Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are the only ones with more than four losses right now. If you're looking at 
conference records, what's the worst that a team can do and still get consideration to go to the big dance? Seven and eleven. You got to get. You think seven they still 11. get legitimate? That's what it, Iowa it, Iowa State was seven and eleven last year and got in, and they didn't even get a playing game. Yeah, seven, you, seven and you 11. can't go six and twelve. If you go six and twelve, you don't deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. If you win six times in eighteen games, I don't care what league you're in, you're not getting in. That's I'm with that. Cutoff. That's my cutoff. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, and I think we're going to see eight teams yeah. finish seven and seven and eleven or better, potentially nine. Yeah, seven and, and I, eleven. Iowa State last year was the year that the Seahawks got in at seven and nine, and Marshawn Lynch went skittles on everybody, and uh, and they beat the Saints in in Seattle. Which, by the way, NFL playoffs were potentially going to have what two two teams that are under five hundred in the in the NFL playoffs. That, that seven and eleven to me is the cutoff there. I mean, I, I just, I, but, but if, if there's a team that I, I, I will that I say would, this though, Fanta, the only league that I think it's possible to have a, have a team that goes six and 12 and get in is this big 12, right? No I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and advocate for it. And I'm not going to say that I think that they have to get in, but if, if at the end of the day, like if it comes down to it, let's just say like, um, I don't know, but if, if someone like, Iowa State with some of the wins that they have in non-conference. If they end up going six and twelve in this league, maybe. It's, I don't think it. I don't think they should be allowed to be in. It's just my take. But then again, you got to find. Everybody always forgets this. You got to find sixty-eight somehow. I think at the end of the day, to your point, Rob, we could go on to say that this year's Big Twelve is as strong as any conference we've ever seen because the bottom of it is still NCAA tournament quality. And that's crazy. It's Mm -hmm. a 10 team league. If you're in a 10 team league, your hope is to get like five or six teams in the NCAA tournament. If you get seven or eight, that is, that's historic. If Mm -hmm. you somehow get eight or nine, you're out of your mind. You'll never do. There's no way that they could possibly duplicate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about the kids of Texas that are dealing with all that stuff and then go on the road to Oklahoma and get a win? Quietly, yeah. yeah. Credit to those kids. Credit, yeah, to come, credit to come those from kids. behind, not just not just a win, a come from behind win in a rivalry game. Yeah, yeah. Impressive. Credit to those credit kids. To impressive. Yes. Um, I want to ask you guys about this because my other my other uh, my second overreaction, and we'll we'll get to Pitt into Pitt and Penn State later because I do want to talk to you guys about them. But since we're on the Big Twelve, my second overreaction of the week was that uh, Oklahoma State kind of got robbed a little bit. Uh, there probably should have been a foul at the end of the bit. game. Um, probably. And the all right, so go ahead. The well, real that quick, was a foul. Just, let, let me set the stage <laughs> for everyone. Uh, Oklahoma State was up 45 to 30 at halftime at Kansas. Kansas came rolling back, they took the lead. Oklahoma State fought back, hit a couple huge threes down the stretch. Uh, I think it was yes, Joseph Yesifu and um. And the kid from Texas Tech, I am blanking on his name at the moment. Kevin McCuller, both hit big threes as well. Kansas is up 69, nice 67 with uh, with about 1.1 seconds left. Oklahoma State runs an out-of-bounds play. McCuller blocks a shot. It's clean up, up top. He uh, he hits hits the dude pretty hard get, with the body. Damn, uh, cross-body blocked him. Cross-body blocked. Uh, <laughs> I don't think luck. you're ever going to get that call in Fog Animal Fieldhouse ever. No. Um, I think that it was much more of a uh, of a, I don't I wouldn't have argued either way. I think it's closer than people said. I I'm not going to sit here and say it's got to be a foul. I'm not going to say it shouldn't have been. That's not foul. what the outline says, Rob. Well, it's 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 an overreaction. So whatever it is, <laughs> you take it. Go ahead, Tio. You're, it was a foul. It was a foul. Like, it was a foul. It was all body. Took my man out. Cross body blocked. It almost looked like some of these like 
satirical like like whenever you're seeing watching little giants and like, like a kid runs up and then jumps sideways and takes out like three people it was a foul mm-hmm. like there's no question it was a foul that being said you're not getting that call at fog allen so credit to oklahoma state hanging around it's just you're not going to get the you're not going to get it there and uh it's amazing to me that like we looked at this we looked at this kansas team we're like well we don't know they're not very big it's very atypical to what we're used to and yet bill self man just finds a way mm-hmm. just finds a way and they've got dudes again the, the emergence of kj adams as a as a lob threat and as a legitimate five man it has changed the ceiling of that team but <laughs> well man got fouled like <laughs> that's what happened so so he did get fouled but it seems like it's a novel concept here for whatever reason people seem to have forgotten that in every sport college basketball included the home team gets the benefit of the doubt especially when they are the yep. defending national champions in a blue blood and play in arguably the toughest place for a visitor to get a win in college basketball i, I want to add something real quick to that there have been studies done where uh, the two sports where home field is um, impacts the officiating the most uh, is European soccer and college basketball. Yeah. Which just so happened to be the two sports with the most uh, intense atmospheres and the most, uh, I don't want to say the most passionate, but um, you know, college basketball, there's, there's, there's action constantly. Yes. And, and I, there's, I, I, there's students right on top of you constantly cheering, constantly yelling, constantly cussing you out if you're an official, right? Um, in in European soccer, I mean, we've all seen like the flares getting thrown on the field. Well, they're scared for their lives. Like, yeah, there, there's a, there's there's a are. difference in the European. Like those guys are legitimately scared for their lives. Yeah, but go, but to your like, I just wanted to, to that point. There's been studies where college basketball is uh, those home environments are just as intimidating as European soccer when it comes to the officials. Yeah, and, and, and not not for nothing, but Bryce Thompson's a 56 percent free throw shooter. Yeah. So you're assuming that he's going to go in the line and make both free throws. He ain't doing it. Not there. I'm just, I'm sorry, Bryce. I love you. I hope you have a great season, buddy, but you're not going to, I'm just don't, I'm betting on you not hitting both free throws. Needless to say, was it a foul by definition of the rule? Yes, it was. On the other side, to win at Allen Fieldhouse, to win at Cameron Indoor, this year to win in Tucson, to beat Arizona, to win over UConn, Gamble or Hartford to win by one, you got to win by 10. If it's a close game late, you're not getting any favors. You're not, you are not going to get a favor. And at the end of the day with Kansas, Bill self has more than earned the benefit of the doubt. And we all know that if Bill self calls his league, the phone call is going to go very differently than if Mike Boyden calls his league. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's just how it is. Well, according according to my sources, Mike Boynton wasn't the one that had to call. He got a call that was basically like an apology from the league. Hey, so, so at Pete's Jam this summer, I'm at a late dinner with our man Goodman and our man Jeff Borzello. And there are three Big 12 coaches there, uh, two Big East coaches, and a couple of other guys, a couple of other head coaches, high-level dudes. And one of the one of the questions that came across the table was, how much do you have to be up at Fog Allen in order to walk away with a win? <laughs> All three Big 12 coaches say at least 15 with two minutes to go. At least 15 <laughs> points with two minutes to go at Fog Allen to win there. At least 15 points. That is how much you – that's which an is, insane number. And which it's is funny. true. It's unbelievable. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure I remember uh, Bob Huggins being up 14 points at Fog Allen with like two minutes and 14 seconds left about when uh, when Javon Carter was there and ended up losing that game. At um, least 15 points with two minutes. Look, they I'm, missed I'm, it. They missed it. It is what it is. It's not the first missed call. It's not the last missed call. I also think it's funny that like head coaches that are getting paid a ton of money like acknowledge that like oh my god <laughs> like it's so hard to to get a win at Fog Allen and a lot of that's for obvious reasons but it's an intimidating place man and, and, and referees are human we talked about it ad nauseum last night but like like they're for the most part refs in the college basketball are very very good if you're objective and looking at how they call a game you know and nobody wants the to say they it. did One- miss it though. One final thing, nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants nobody likes to say it. Everyone's always like, oh, it's not true. Oklahoma State still helped themselves so much more than they hurt themselves at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. That effort's inspiring. That effort will go a long way. And I know people say the committee doesn't take things into account. This, that, the third. Guys, they're not robots in the room. They're not robots in the room. I guarantee you when they discuss Oklahoma State, they're going to discuss this game and they're showing a Kansas if Oklahoma State does some other things well, right as, in their league. As much Oklahoma as anything State's else, and, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I thought you were done. As much as anything else, I think that it's it, it, that's going to improve your numbers, right? Your computer rankings, your your yeah. where you sit in the net, where you sit in Kempom, um, losing by by two in that uh, um, in that building. I'm not I, a fan I, of that at always, but yeah, in that case, I'm a fan of it. I'm not a fan of of I'm just being, I'm not a fan of teams winning by 25 and going up 10 spots in the net. Yeah. I think you, I'm you not should, a fan of that. Some of it, some of it, you need to cap the, like the difference. Um, but at, at the same time, like be, if you, if you lose on a last second shot at Kansas versus losing by 30 um, to Kansas, like, I think that it's, it's something that is, is notable and should be mentioned. I, I, I want to ask you real quick. It's you amazing. They lost and went up a spot. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. I was just looking at the net rank. This is weird. Yep. Yep, you mentioned um, you mentioned KJ Adams and last six games since the loss to Tennessee, since the point mm-hmm. when we talked about how this team has issues on the offensive end of the floor, right? Um, See, he had you not, were not bought into that since I was not bought in. Uh, he did not score double figures in any game this season before that. 
the last six games, he's hit double figures in every single one of those games. He's averaging 13 points over that stretch. He's also top 250 nationally in both block rate and steal rate. He's one of the most effective, uh, efficient offensive weapons in and around the basket. Um, when KJ Adams is playing like this, when you can utilize what he is as a small ball five, then that completely changes, in my mind, the ceiling of what this Kansas team can be. Um, it also helps when you go 11 for 23 from the three-point line for a team uh, where we have questions about how good they can shoot it from beyond the arc. But I don't know. That, is K.J. Adams a small by, ball five, or is he just a small five? Because I think he's just a five. I, he's just I, no, I think, I think he's a small ball five because he is so switchable. Oh, right, so you're he, speaking strictly on the defensive end. See, I'm just thinking offensively. Like he's just a he's a yeah, really he's, stupid athletic five man. Yeah, like he's he's got a little bit of um, a little bit of Mark Vital in him, in terms of what he can provide on the defensive end. And if you want to play him at the five, you don't really lose all that much. He's not as good on the glass. He's not quite as athletic or quite the defender. But I think mm. I I said. I said this on the show when I said that I, I didn't think that Kansas was going to be like was at the moment a top 20 team. I said that you needed him to be like 75 to 80 percent of Mark Vital to have him to be able to play the way that they want to play. And he before this, he was like 40 percent of Mark Vital. And now I think you're getting to the point where he's about 75 to 80 percent because he's a lob threat. He actually hit the game with a bucket like rolling to the basket. Right. Because they got they set the Juan Harris in the uh, in the ball screen, which, by the way, can we talk about that? No timeout at the end. Just let your guy go. Wasn't an ISO situation, wasn't a four shot. Put Dewan Harris, the best decision maker in college basketball, in a ball screen. Let him go make a play. Love that, by the way. Um, yeah. But yeah, to me at this point, like with KJ Adams playing like this, changes what they are. But he's still a rim pressure guy. Like that's the big thing, too. Mm -hmm. Like he is so athletic and, and so bouncy that like he doesn't do it in a in the same manner as, you know, McCormick did last year, but he's still a rim pressure guy. Like it, just because like his chins at the rim guys, like he's yeah. one of these athletes, like he could be Jimmy Graham in the NFL. If he did, yeah. if it doesn't work in the NBA, What's your he's got such a baby face. He looks like he's 12 years old. If you're just looking at his face. And then once you kind of pan out and see the fact that this dude looks like he's built like a 12 year pro in the NFL, it's uh, it's kind of disconcerting, but what's yeah, your next overreaction? What's your next overreaction? The next overreaction that I have, um, so we've, we've gone through three of them now. One of them was the Big 12 has 10 teams that are capable of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, mm -hmm. The next one I have is that Xavier is the best team in the Big East. That's an overreaction. They're, they're a really good team, and they're a top 15 team at the moment, in my humble opinion, that's won eight in a row and has a top 10 offense in college basketball. There's an argument to be made that they're the best offensive team in the Big East. I will listen to that. I'll, I'll probably say that. I don't yeah. think that there's much of an argument to be had. Yeah, there's no argument for that one. Um, not really anyways. Defensively, I still get concerns. The bench is concerning after Jerome Hunter. Uh, they really don't Man, have – he was great, by the way. He was great. Sorry. He if, if Jerome Hunter doesn't step up, Xavier doesn't win. And Sean has been saying it all year, all year – what held them back against Duke and Gonzaga from winning one of those games was not having anybody they could count on to hit a shot outside of their starting five. Their starting five can play with just about anybody. Jack Nungy was sick. He was asleep 30 minutes before this game. They weren't even sure if he was going to go. He goes, he gives them a valiant effort. The tough love with Zach Fremantle has worked. It's worked. It's worked. It's worked. Colby Jones, 
showed maturity on Saturday. He had early turnovers. He was not good early. He shot 7-10 from the floor. He puts up five assists. He's grown as a player. And Sule Boom wasn't a huge, wasn't as big of a factor on Saturday, but Sule Boom has been as good of a transfer portal ad as you're going to see. They're not the best team in the Big East. They are a legit Sweet 16 caliber team on their best day and could, could get to an Elite Eight, and it wouldn't downright shock me because, guys, because right now, in my opinion, there are not there are definitely not 10 head coaches I'm taking over Sean Miller and there might not be five. He has done that good of a job with the Savior. He hit the refresh button last year. They are stacked offensively in the way that they can create wrinkles. They have one of the best home courts in college basketball. I love the way that they've steadily gotten better and I don't think they're finished yet. Miller is one of the best coaches in the country. He has reasserted that this season. Yeah, they're really, really starting to figure it out on that end. I, I think that I would still say that that UConn is the best team in the league, and I still think that there is a little bit of a gap between them and Xavier. Um, I think that Xavier is the absolute perfect matchup, though, against UConn for for two reasons. One, uh, they they have a guy at the four that makes you have to guard a four man. Right, you have to guard Zach Fremantle with a four man. You cannot guard him with a guard. You cannot guard him with freshman Alex Caravan. You cannot guard him with Andre Jackson. But at the same time, they are able to, since you don't have to guard Andre Jackson, the last two times that that UConn has played, uh, defenses have not guarded Andre Jackson. Um, It allows you to hide that four-man defensively. You don't have to worry about him having to chase around uh, someone on the perimeter because you don't have to guard that person on the perimeter with the other big guy. Combine that with the fact that one Jack Nunji is a monster that can take away Adama Sanogo one-on-one because he's just so large. And two, the fact that his uh, shooting ability means you cannot double off of him with, with Adama Sanogo. Um, I, I just, it's a nightmare matchup for UConn. It's a very, very, very difficult matchup for UConn. Essentially you need Andre Jackson to do what he did four for eight from three. If you're If UConn's going to be able to beat Xavier, um, that's what you, that's what you need out of him. It's, it's, uh, I think that what we saw out of Villanova was exactly the game plan that, that everyone's going to throw at UConn this year. And I think that what we saw from Xavier is the way that you can actually go out and beat UConn with a lineup like that. T.O., you have that Nunji's look on your so face big. where you're like, where you're no, like, so big. like, like the free throw discrepancy was huge, but like a lot of that was uh, <laughs> Nunji just staying straight up and being massive and making it difficult, which also concerns me whenever UConn plays uh, Creighton. Mm-hmm. Right. That game coming up at Fanta, you'll be at that game. Right. Um, like th- he was so big, but the, the emergence too, and I, in large part, I think this has a lot to do with Sean Miller, but Kobe Jones has turned into an efficient dude. Like that hasn't been the case. Like, it coming into this season. Hey, hey, Fanta, I was, what, I, I'm, what about, to I'm about to get Jones there. I'm about to get Kobe there. Kobe Jones do. Hey, here's the thing. Like I, I said that I was about to address it before you beat me to it, but like, it's amazing what getting some easier shots can do that young man's percentages. And with Sean kind of plugging and playing and putting him in different spots, he's shooting 45% from three guys. He went from being a Jack of all trades, kind of an Andre Jackson to where like now his comparables on Kim Palm, listen to this, Christian Brown, Joe Weiskamp, Wendell Moore. Yep. That's a very different comparison than last year. Jordan Miller, Kentrell Barkley, DeAndre Bembry, Byron Wesley, and Tyrese Davis. That's very different. 
this year because he's knocking down shots and he's put, getting put in different positions in order to be that efficient shot maker. His percentages have gone crazy. He's still passing the ball at a high rate. And like he's that jack of all trades, but now he's doing so whenever he's knocking down shots. Completely changes the outlook of what he can be professionally. It completely changes the outlook of what the Xavier team can be uh, in the postseason as well. Let me tell you, big picture here. Let's go a, a step beyond this season. Sean is doing it with guys that aren't even his. So what's going to happen when he when he keeps stacking? Xavier's always been able to recruit. And here's why. They are invested in a large way. I don't think people understand. They might be a private school in the Big East that does not possess football. But in Cincinnati, Ohio, if they need to do something to spend on their basketball, it gets done. Yeah. It gets done. Their donor base is outstanding. There's never going to be a concern about that. I got to tell you, they, they were willing to give Chris Mack more and more and more money. They would have stretched it. They would have stretched it. He wanted to go to Louisville. That, that happened. The point is, we look back at the coaching cycle. We called Xavier a big winner. Xavier could be argued as the biggest of winners because the investigation's in the rearview mirror. The only holdup to the hire was if, if Sean Miller had to face penalties and who knows what would happen to him. The IARP is going defunct for a reason. You could tell by their punishment style. They're not laying the wood on anybody. That All that stuff is in the rearview mirror, guys. The resources are there. They're building another practice facility there. NIL is present at Xavier. When we talk about upside of programs both in the Big East and nationally, mm -hmm. UConn's right there. Of course they are. But of these schools that frankly aren't public and are private and different, Xavier operates not like those. They they operate in a think big final four type of way. And if I were to put a future down of the next five to seven or eight years, I would find it pretty tasty that Sean Miller and Xavier, not this year, but but in due time, we could see them as a number one or two seed in the NCAA tournament in two to three seasons, and they could be a legit threat to make the final four. Well, they were a number one seed in the year before Chris Mack left. So, like, it, it's – it, yeah, I'm 100% with you there. I think that um, seeing, uh, seeing Xavier watch Travis Steele be on the wrong side of the bubble, yeah. making a coaching change, and investing in a guy that you know is going to be able to bring the program back to, to prominence, uh, even if it's a little bit of a risky kind of, I don't know if controversial is the right word. But and he hire, ain't going anywhere now, right? Yeah, you, you this hire, is where he's going to settle down. He's building a house right now. I I, I mean, I, I the only place I think he would go is a place where uh, that they wear a lot of big blue clothing. Um, but that uh, that's it'll take a lot for John Calipari to not be in that position at some point in the next two years. That's the only, that's the only one that I can, I can see happening. Like if you're, I, I, I've not had this conversation with Sean. I don't know if you have Fanta or you have T.O., but I, I got to think that if, if you are a basketball coach and Kentucky calls you, you take that call and you think very favorably of that call, whether or not you take the job. So that would be the tough one. Um, I do just want to say real quick, uh, or I'll, let me, let me finish the point I was making. Cause, um, you see Xavier make all this change and and invest all the stuff in it and make a, a borderline controversial hire while Georgetown, who I think is a, a definitively, I would say a better job, big picture, all things considered a better job in theory than Xavier is 
uh, with more history in basketball. And you keep saying Ed Cooley's going. I can't believe it. Like you just, you're on that one. <laughs> Come on. I, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, now that it, it, I see how much it riles up uh, Providence fans, I'm going to put you, Ed Cooley's name in every single job that opens up, regardless of the profession. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what? They just fired the manager at the, the shop right down the street from me. I think Ed Cooley would be a great fit there. You know, he's a great people person. He really understands how to he's build a, a schedule. He knows what good produce looks like. Uh, um, you know, Elon Musk is fucking up at Twitter, right? Go hire Ed Cooley as the CEO. That man understands <laughs> social media. Um, no, but it's just seeing what what's happening with Georgetown and the fact that they won't make a change when a change needs to get made. Uh, and then seeing Xavier proactively making a change when maybe it felt like kind of a year too early. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, I think that just kind of sets apart to your point, Fanta, uh, the different priorities in those programs. I want to talk about Dan Hurley for a second. Um, I know you guys talked about it last night, but there's a couple of points that I want to make. Um, first of all, if you are a UConn fan and you are going to blame that loss on the officiating, then I don't think that you need to have your basketball IQ checked, right? One, they lost that game because of unforced errors, errors that they they, they beat themselves. There were two Tristan Newton turnovers. There was an awesome uh, offensive foul on Jordan Hawkins, and there was the technical foul on Danny Hurley. Those four things are what cost him the game, right? It wasn't the officiating. I know there was a bad no call on a moving screen that gave Xavier the go-ahead basket. It wouldn't have been a go-ahead basket if Tristan Newton wasn't throwing the ball over the floor in the last three minutes before that. Um, so UConn beat themselves in that game. Two, the, uh, the free throw disparity had a lot to do with the fact that uh, Jack Nunji doesn't foul. Um, he was the guy that was going up against Adama Sonogo. That was all of UConn's uh, paint shots. Um, and UConn's game plan was to shoot a bunch of threes, right? Xavier was putting the ball on the floor. UConn chases you off the three-point line. The, there's a lot more dribble penetration when you're Xavier than there was with UConn. There's a reason why those fouls were called. And also, like, six or eight of them were uh, were fouls down the stretch, right? So even that 28-9 to nine advantage was actually, like, 20-9, to nine, which is kind of what you see in road games. So, um even the technical foul, I'd make the argument like that game was probably lost already at that point, right? It was a one possession game. It, it was a it was a one possession it, it, game. It was a three a point game, I I but Xavier, Xavier still had another free throw. Like it was going to be a four point game with two and a half minutes. Yeah, left. I think Xavier wins it anyway. Yeah, I think, but one possession game can't do it. Like I and I talked about this a little bit last night, but like I, I don't love the timing of like we emphasize the players all the time, like. Time and score, time and score. Like there needs to be a little bit of that with the officiating crew on that one. I, like should should have happened earlier. Should have like could could have happened earlier. Could have happened ten minutes ago. But regardless, regardless, like you you can't put yourself in that position if you're yeah Dan you're, Hurley. And I love Dan. Like I like let's like he is one of my favorite dudes because I I know he's a he's he's a genuine crazy person and he acknowledges it much on the sidelines and I and I just enjoy every bit of his persona but at the same time like there's going to be times like this UConn team could make the final four mm -hmm. like this is a legitimate final four contending team there's going to be a time in the sweet 16 of the elite eight where UConn is going to be in a high stress situation and there's going to be a call that doesn't go his way how do you rebound from that and like you can't at that point of the season you can't put yourself in and this is when this is a good like check yourself moment if the, yes. and I'm rooting, I'm rooting for him, but it's a good yes. check yourself moment in a game where if you win it, it's awesome. If you lose it, it's that Xavier, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. can't put yourself in that position. And this is a good check yourself moment for later. 
Yeah, and you also have to understand that you're there's a built up equity there when it comes to officials calling stuff yeah. on you, right? They're, these are it's a person to person business, and yeah. if you don't think about your profession, if you if you like someone, you're probably willing to let them get away with, with a little bit more in your day to day in your job than you are if you don't like the person that you're dealing with. And I think it's kind of clear uh, officials probably don't like being berated the way that they're berated. They probably yeah, don't and, like and watching videos and seeing a clip of Dan Hurley saying he's a fucking clown, right? We're talking about an official. They see that that makes it round. It happens. Look, now that we've had the conversation as rational professionals covering the sport, I just want to say for the record that this is bullshit. Big East, <laughs> officials, NCAA, Dan Hurley is getting railroaded. They are targeting him. He is a victim in this whole nonsense. We heard Jeff Goodman talking about it on Saturday. The officials are targeting Dan Hurley. It is time. It is time for you to make this right. It is time for you to check the officials that have taken the power out of the hands of the players, out of the hands of the team. Dan Hurley's being railroaded. Just thought top dogs that. coming out this week. <laughs> top dogs coming out this week. Tune in. Tune I in. endorse. I endorse none of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just messing around. Look, it, it's um, Hurley's got to be better. Maybe it's not the time to get uh, to to call that tech if you're an official, but you can't put yourself in that situation. All right, uh, we got two more reactions I want to get to. I'm going to start with this because I do just want to talk about Kentucky really quick. Um, I it felt like they kind of righted some things a little bit against Louisville. And I know it was against Louisville, but it's against your biggest rival. Jacob Toppin got it going a little bit. It just felt like watching that team put up 86 points was a little bit different than what we've seen from them before. Tio, how are you feeling about Kentucky moving forward and where are you at with them? No, fans are saying no. Fans are shaking his head. No, I. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's so hard to gauge against Louisville because they don't play any help side defense. Like yeah, none. So like you're not really... Yeah, you're not. If we're going to give flowers to Kentucky for the win over Louisville, like, are we going to do that for Florida State and other teams in the game? Lipscomb? Can we, can we yeah. give Lipscomb their flowers? Lenny yeah, Aker? Stetson? Yeah. No. Come on, man. You got no, to prove nothing? Man. No, there's no overreaction. You can't overreact to a win over Louisville. Like, here's the thing, and we talked about this on After Dark Sunday night. You can both say – that we've been harshly critical of Kentucky and that the reason why we're being harshly critical is that because we put them on the level that they would be final four caliber this season. Nobody's saying that Kentucky doesn't have the personnel. They do. And they put up 80 plus points against a team that's not good defensively and doesn't have anywhere close to the talent they have, nor the firepower. And it's a rivalry game. It, I don't care how good or bad Louisville and Kentucky are. It's going to always move the needle kind of like, what we saw to a much lesser degree, much lesser degree, but like still like Georgetown Syracuse got a bunch of viewers. Why? Because it's still to the random fan to Joe in Texas, who just likes college basketball. He still tunes in because he doesn't know any better. Like he, he doesn't, he literally doesn't know any better how the teams are. That's why they put the games on TV as is because Kentucky's always going to draw you. I'm not going to sit here and say that we learn nothing. 
I, I think that Kentucky's got the pieces, Rob, to be a team that makes a run in March, but they've got to show it against the strong competition, and they've got to show it in the closing moments. Do they have three-point shooting? Yeah, they do. They possess they possess the pieces to be a very successful basketball team. That's why we were as harsh as we were of them earlier this season and have been this season. I don't know. Interesting game coming up next for them, LSU, who's yeah, been I don't, really well. I don't know if they necessarily possess the pieces. Like That's kind of where I'm at with this group at this point, right? Like, I, I just, I don't know. When you're, when you start, when you already have Sphere Wheeler and, and Oscar Shibuya on the floor together, and then your tweak to fix things offensively is to throw Lance Ware out there, move Chris Livingston to the three and play him with Kaysan Wallace. Like, instead of leaning into three-point shooting, you're going the exact opposite direction to say, hey, let's, let's shrink the floor as much as we possibly can. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing here, T.O.? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. We, you just look at the numbers. It's just that it just doesn't add up. Like, it's the craziest thing ever. They, they need to shoot free throws better. They shoot free throws better. They probably win. Now, all the losses, they've lost pretty handily. So, like, that, it doesn't really change much. But their numbers are fine. That's kind of the crazy thing about it. They need to shoot free throws better. We'll, we'll see how they kind of continue to go forward. It's, it's a perplex, perple, perplexing matter because there's a lot of coaches that would love to have four or five guys shooting – 37 percent not like interesting you did go four for 13 from three i mean again against louisville of all teams but i and he only played six guys double figure minutes i thought that was telling too against the louisville team that they beat by 23 and what is he i'm just asking this because i did not watch this game um live is cj frederick hurt yeah he he did something to his finger um i like was it broken or just whatever he did he uh, it, it was bent in a way that it shouldn't have been bent. Which one? Which finger? I think it was. I'm not sure which one. I think I'm, shooting I think hand. Thank you. Yeah, shooting hand. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, I mean, it's so painful for a shooter, man. I, I dislocated my thumb in France in the middle of the second quarter, and it th- this knuckle right there was sitting on top of this knuckle, <laughs> yeah. and I went off to the side, and they pulled it and they put it back in, and I tried to walk back on the court, and. They, they made me sub out. They taped me up. I went back in. I couldn't catch the ball for a month and a half. I shouldn't have played. Like, it is such a painful thing to have something on your shooting hand. Yeah, more, yeah. Much, much more so the thumb than the pinky, but you get what I'm saying. You yeah, know what? I, I, I will say this, though. Um, the last thing I'll say on Kentucky is that uh, after the Missouri loss, if you look at who they started against Louisville and that basically the, the, the six guys that they played um, – it was about as uh, everything that you could ask for when it comes to the, the small ball lineup that they're putting out there, right? We learned the point, she weighed the four, and then it was Keeson Wallace, Antonio Reeves, Chris Livingston, and Jacob Toppin that played the minutes from the, at the at the two through four spots, which is, I think that's 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 what we wanted at the start of the season, right? Is that that's kind of what we wanted to see? You got a couple shooters out there, you got guys that are versatile defensively, so we'll see if he ends up sticking with that. They'll beat LSU at home. You think so? Yeah, and that shouldn't – let me say something right now. If they don't win that game, if LSU's they don't win that game, one. they're, they're going to beat them. Yeah, LSU's 12-1, and one, but it's a little bit of an inflated 12-1. and one, Let's be honest. Just beat let's Arkansas. Be yeah, yeah, an Arkansas team that Without has – Nick doubt. Smith. Yeah, take, take a look at Arkansas's bench right now. Beat, beat Wake Forest. How many, bench point, 
how many bench points did Arkansas score against LSU? No, oh, I don't know. Didn't they up. didn't they come back from like 25 down against Wake Forest? Guys, they don't have a bench. Look at the stats. They Who? Arkansas does not have they literally do not no, have No, we're bench. talking about LSU. We're talking about LSU. Yeah, they did. They're a good team. They're a good team. Kentucky needs to beat them at home. You could throw them into the mix of oh. hey, they might make the tournament. Oh well, yeah. All right, let's talk, let's talk about that. I, I want to talk Kentucky about. Pitt. Should be the team that might make the tournament. If Kentucky right. loses, let me tell you something right now. If Kentucky loses on Tuesday night, the world's going to burn in Lexington. Because <laughs> these fans are tired of it. Set those couches Rob, on fire, man. Rob. Will there be? Will there? Will after dark be fuming at Kentucky if they lose at home to LSU? Yeah, probably. Um, I also I also think that Kentucky fans are kind of bordering on the level of apathy more than you know what's i can't remember who said it but there's some famous author whose line is the opposite of love is not hate the opposite of love is apathy and i feel like there are some kentucky fans that are saying like look we care a little bit more about football and maybe maybe it was indifference was indifference a quote or was it apathy if kentucky fans are apathetic that's problematic Yes, I think that's what you're kind of running into. Is it just there's so many only so many times you can get completely beaten down by a by a basketball program without seeing any hope in sight. So hopefully there will be hope in sight here. I want to talk about Pitt and I want to talk about Penn State. Pitt started the season one and three. They have a loss to Vanderbilt on their resume, but they've also won at Northwestern, at NC State. They beat Syracuse on the road in the dome, and on Friday. They finally landed a win that kind of made you turn your head and say, oh, okay, this team is suddenly 10-4, and 3-0 in the ACC, and they have a win over North Carolina. T.O., you're the ACC guy. I know that you want to be a Big East guy. You're never going to be a full Big East guy because you're always going to be half ACC. Talk to me about these Pitt Panthers. What are you seeing out of them? You know, I was so disappointed whenever Dior Johnson got in trouble early in the season. I just ranked him 15th. And it had it had the exact timing of when all those votes were going out. So I was just pissed because I thought that they were going to be good because they have pieces. Like, they beat this North Carolina team without John Hughley, who's arguably their biggest difference maker at the five spot, 6'9", 270, and he's good. Uh, Blake Henson has turned into a dude, but Jamarius Burton has developed into something entirely different. Uh, him, along with Hunter Tyson – at Clemson were voted ACC player of the week and it's two guys. And I'm the reason I'm bringing up Hunter, cause I was at the game and I thought it was awesome, but he, uh, Jamarius Burton, they're taking full advantage of this fifth year. Like these are guys that pr- shouldn't be in college anymore, but because of this COVID year, they are really taking advantage. They're playing against a bunch of younger guys and they were having a great season. What was he 14 of 17 against Carolina? Just absurd numbers. And it gets to a point where these guys just know how to play and know how to attack defenses uh, to a point to where they probably shouldn't be there anymore. But gosh, you know, Pitt, they're going to be mean. They're going to be scrappy. You're going to catch an elbow if you go through the paint off the ball. And, you know, Capel has a certain style of play as far as ruggedness is concerned, almost bordering, almost bordering on dirty, but not quite there. And it's like you're 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 playing a physical bunch at Pitt, and then when they're hitting shots and they have guys being efficient, like they're a handful, and they've got guys doing both. And Blake Henson too, that shot he hit on the right wing as time was creeping towards the end of the game, like that's a big time shot. And if you have a dude at six seven two forty that can step out and create a little bit at the end of clock at the end of games, like they're good, they're good. Are they going to make the tournament? Still a long way to go. 
And I think they need John Hughley to do that, but um, it's possible. A lineup of John Hughley, Blake Hinson, Jamarius Burton, Nellie Cummings, and Greg Elliott is uh, that's pretty good. Fanta, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it to you on Penn State. Um, they I'll have one of the the one of the strangest Ken Palm profiles that you'll find. They lead the nation uh, in offensive turnover rate. They're one of the worst defensive teams when it comes to forcing turnovers. They don't they, they completely fade the offensive glass. Right. They shoot it and just run straight back. They don't even, don't even pretend to give a damn about well, going for an offensive rebound. They're a great defensive rebounding team, right? They basically do everything that they can to uh to to limit the number of possessions that um uh that 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 the other team is um able to get. And then they also happen to be a very, very good three-point shooting team. They shoot nearly 50% of their shots from beyond the arc. And they just so happen to have a six foot four dude who kind of plays the point, but he also kind of plays power forward, who has taken uh, all of 47 threes on the season, Jalen Pickett. Like, it just, it's a weird, weird team, but it's working. Well, it's working because you don't have to sprint back anticipating that you're playing defense off a of miss when you shoot the ball the way they do. When, when you don't need to emphasize offensive rebounding when you've got sharpshooters who are getting high percentage shots. And that's exactly what we talked with Micah Shrewsbury about on Sunday night. There are teams that can shoot the basketball. There are teams that you that we often say they can shoot the you-know-what out of the ball. But you've got to be able to set up high-percentage looks because that's where then your worst defense actually is your offense and the shots that you're taking because it's, the, it's basically a glorified turnover. Mm-hmm. That's not the case for Penn State. That's not the case for Penn State. Penn State's got shooters. What makes them different than any other team and what makes them different from other teams in the Big Ten is, one, the style, and number two, they have an All-American. To this point, Jalen Pickett has been one of the eight best players in college basketball, maybe at worst. At worst, I think there's a case for him to be one of the five or six. That's a totally different discussion. But the fact that Penn State has a player that we're categorizing there is crazy. Yeah. This program has not been to the NCAA tournament since 2011. Micah Shrewsbury worked with Matt Painter at Purdue. He's worked alongside Brad Stevens. And he strategically went about his journey, and I I give him a lot of credit. I mean, I know you want to be a head coach, but being a head coach of Penn State University basketball is difficult. It's difficult because you're never going to be king. It's, it's not exactly – the Bryce Jordan Center is not exactly a place that gets raucous and crazy. We're, we're going to see here a revolution. It's really It really is a revolution for Penn State basketball that I think is there to stay, and it's because not only is it Andrew Funk and, and Winter and Lundy, they've got interchangeable pieces, so they're versatile defensively. They don't turn the ball over. They lead the Big Ten in three-point shooting percentage – all of that equals a formula that's the different dish at the traditional Big Ten Midwest restaurant. They offer something different on the block. And in the Big Ten, that's really unique and it's good. They can actually mismatch with teams in the Big Ten with the way they play by not being traditional. It fits. Yep. Yeah, and they're different than ever. Like, so they're going to play the same way against a Big Ten that's almost cookie cutter with the aircraft carriers and big guys, and then they have to be adjusted too. 
every time. But if you look at a couple of things, one, Shrewsbury coaches his butt off defensively. If you don't believe it, they're playing six, 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 seven across the board and they swarm to the ball like crazy. So they're, so if they guard, well, we know that here's the thing. They're never in scramble situations because like you said, Rob, like you said, John, they don't turn the ball over. They shoot almost 40% from three. They shoot 54% from two and they don't miss a whole, they're, they're top 25 in the country in free throws. So how often are you going to get Penn State in a scramble situation? You're not going to. You have to score against a set defense every single time. And that is not always that easy to do, especially that when that switch. team you're playing against. That can switch. That can switch. So, and let, everybody talks about the Big Ten being one of the most scout-heavy leagues. Like, you have the chance to scout every play that you're going to play against, at least probably 90 to 95% in some games. Because you're you're going up against uh, a team that's usually walking the ball up the floor because there's no transition opportunities with them. That's what puts them in. A lot of teams are taking tough post-up twos in that league against a lot of floor-spaced threes in Penn State. And then at the end of the clock, you just give the ball to Jaden Pickett and he can just figure it out for you. Quickly, as good as Penn State's been in the Big Ten at, at now 11-3, and three, Iowa – Iowa is 0-3 in the Big Ten. I'm concerned about the Hawkeyes, guys. I'm concerned. concerned about they're not very good. They, they just they lost Keegan Murray. They lost Jordan Bohannon. They, they were Jeff Goodman's pick to win the Big Ten. That's why you don't listen to a single thing. He also picked Andre Corbello to be a first team All American last season. So he's he's done a bang up job. <laughs> he's been knocking those picks out. <laughs> this is what happens when you listen to a guy that spends his entire offseason and the entire conference season doing nothing but eating banana pudding in the uh, the city of Charleston. One real one he's real living the thing. dream right now in Charleston. There's good basketball down there. The food's amazing. Yep. He is. Uh, one real quick note I do want to just add on, on Micah Shrewsbury. If Georgetown makes a move, you could do a lot worse than bringing in a guy like Micah Shrewsbury to uh, to run that. that you that you know what? Me and, Fanta, me and Fanta said that last night off air. Like, he could be a guy that Georgetown could consider. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of things that would make that work, uh, which is – um, a conversation for when uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions actually make it into the NCAA tournament because I don't think you can hire him if you don't dance. Uh, I think that they are well on their way to dancing this season. All right, I wanted to end this with uh, with a bold prediction, with a hot take, with um, some kind of some thought that maybe is a little bit off the beaten path. To I'm going to go to you first on this. No, one. don't go to me first. Go to Fanta first. All right, Fanta, we'll go to you first. Give me. <laughs> give me a hot take. Give me a bold prediction. Give me something a little bit. Do you want me to go first? Go ahead with yours if you if you got it ready. Yeah. So I I do have one ready. So I I don't know what you guys are going to think about this, but I think that by the end of the season, right? Mm -hmm. If Amari Bailey can turn into a guy that averages um, like thirteen to fifteen points, if you can yeah. be someone that can consistently be a source of creation, right? So you don't have to just rely on Tiger Campbell and you don't have to just rely on Jaime Hawkins to create everything for you offensively. If you can get it from the five-star freshman guy that some people think is going to end up being a first-round pick, um, that we're going to look at this UCLA team and we're going to say that they are, one, the best team in the Pac-12, better than Arizona. I know what I'm saying. I know how crazy that sounds, but I think we'll th that we'll be looking at them as the best team in Arizona, in, uh, in the Pac-12. Hey, man, they've had times of looking like that. 
Yeah, like they have. beat the brakes off of Maryland. Like I, I understand Maryland's a hot or not situation, but when when they beat Maryland like that, man, that was impressive. Yeah. So I, I just think that if if they can get Amari Bailey going to the point where he is um, a legitimate third option for him for creation. Like I, I know, I know Jalen Clark can score and like, he's been awesome in his role. And I, I love Jaime Hawkins. I've been on the Jaime Hawkins bandwagon for two years now. I was the one saying that he was better than Johnny Juzang uh, prior to the 2021 season. Right. I've been on the Jaime Hawkins bandwagon forever. I'm a, I'm a Jaime Hawkins truther, if you will. And Tiger you Campbell are. is just your, you your good traditional solid veteran old doesn't beat you um, kind of a point guard. You need guys like that. But I think Amari Bailey is the guy that ups their level to the point where you can actually consider them as a national title contender. Uh, so I will think I, I think that if he gets it going, they win the Pac-12, they make the Final Four, and I think that there's a very real chance that we're looking at them as real national title threats as opposed to just kind of like something that's a little bit more hypothetical um, if Amari Bailey gets it going. So I guess my hot take is uh, Amari Bailey is one of the most influential players in college basketball which sounds so weird when I'm saying it, but that's, I believe it. Is that crazy? No, it's not. No, it's not. My bold prediction is that we're going to see at least three Pac-12 teams in the Sweet 16. I think that the Pac-12, similar to a couple of years ago, is going to crash the NCAA tournament again, but not, I mean, UCLA and Arizona aren't crashing anything. They're that good. I, I expect both UCLA and Arizona to be in the Elite Eight, frankly. I think they're both that good. I like the way USC's been playing uh, as of late, even though um, they, they've had some ups and downs. There's no question about it, but I, I still I still think something of that team. Utah's net is at 31 as we're talking right now. They sit at 31 at 11 and four. That team's got length. Uh, that team's got a, a veteran core. To me, the Pac-12 is better than than. I expected it to be with a couple of teams that have emerged. Okay. So I would look at that. The other bold prediction I have for, for 2023 shouldn't be all that bold, but Miami, Miami's going to win the ACC. I, I, okay. I think that I don't think people are thinking of them in that class for all the credit we gave North Carolina. Okay. For all the credit that we gave, you know, Houston and Gonzaga in the preseason, we often say that when you have March success, it carries into what we then think of you in the preseason. For what we gave in all that credit, we should have shared a little bit more with Miami, who was unranked. Just because they lost Mugusty and more doesn't mean they didn't have enough. They've got more than enough guys. They are one dangerous dog. I've talked with other coaches who have said, man, they're as good as anybody on their best day. It would not surprise me if 73-year-old Jim Laranega, in a time where all these coaches are retiring and getting tired of it, Laranega could end up going to back-to-back Elite Eights, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit. So, America, it's not even a hot take, but I'm just telling you right now, you better start thinking of Miami as one of the 10 best teams. They've played like it, folks. They have played like it. Money well spent. Money well spent. Like, <laughs> like in, they're good, man. There's not a whole lot to add there. They're, they're very good. And when you have guards that can create like that, you're going to be very good. Uh, Norchad Ormier, or, 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 gosh, I Omier. swear with that name. Omier. 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 I, th- I want to put three syllables in there, just I'm not allowed to. 
Oh, yeah. uh, Omir, <laughs> Norchad Omir. Like he's been a beast. He's done a nice job for them uh, coming in in a very new system to what he was accustomed to. Um, yeah, I mean, Miami right now, uh, because they have that individual scoring that is elite, that they, they should win that league, at least during the regular season. Uh, my mine is going to stick with, I'm just going to die on this hill. I think Tennessee is going to win the SEC because they're just going to out-tough you every freaking night. And they're the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. So every time that Santiago Vescovi just hurls one at the backboard, they have big dudes that can go get them. And I do feel like they need to shake some things up with who their shots are coming from. Because I think Vescovi is a third or fourth option. And he's going to hit shots as your third or fourth option. Rick Barnes isn't going to do that. But in my opinion, looking at that team, whenever he's playing alongside somebody as opposed to being the guy, Vescovy's good. When he's the guy, it's too much for him. So you so need who do you, to, who should be the guy? Is it Zakai? I actually think like Tyreek Julian team? has Julian's a top what 15 kid in the country at getting to the foul line. His free throw rate, he's a top 50 guy at getting to the foul line. He can create for you. He's quick enough to get to spots. And then if he misses shots, whenever he's attacking the rim. Like those guys are big around the rim to be able to go get it. So like at least put it up close. Like that's my big thing. You got to find different ways to score because Vescovy has not been that guy for you. Sakai Ziegler has not been that guy for you. But defensively, they're just going to find a way to out-tough you every single night. And I still think they're going to win the SEC. And they still really haven't gotten all that much out of uh, Josiah Jordan-James, who's been what, – yeah. what is he? Is it an ankle? What is it, a wrist, something? Nothing? You don't know? <laughs> hey, I'm going to give you one more bull take just for the hell of it. Okay, just for hey. fun. All right? My Big East Tournament Championship game prediction on who's going to meet who. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm doing it. Guard, the roof pops off the garden. Bryce Hopkins leads Providence to the championship game, and they meet the UConn Huskies and MSG. The only so the only thing I would say to that is Are you flying me up to New York? Because I really want to go if that's the case. I won't be surprised. <laughs> By the way, I won't be surprised if Hopkins keeps making a push. T.O., I know you're gonna agree with me. The yeah. way he's playing, he's figured it out. They've won seven in a row. Hopkins is starting. He's like that horse down the track. He's starting to make a candidacy for Big East player of the year. I it's hold on, hold on. I said that. I said that at the start of the season. I said that there's a there's a real chance that Bryce Hopkins could end up being the Big East player of the year this year. I think you were drunk. I might have been drunk, but I, I there's a 100 percent chance I said that on on <laughs> there's a clip of it. I'll I'll pull it. I'll share the clip. I'm, mm, we'll see. I typically yeah. let Dagan go through the vaults and he won't be able to find it. Don't 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 steal my takes, Fanta. Don't no, but it, the only thing I would say to that is do you think Providence I, finishes like I, I wonder how they kind of finish in the Big East standings. If we think that UConn's going to win, I think, think it's, there's Providence a strong possibility. They're four hey, and there's, oh. a, there's a strong possibility okay. that Providence ends up in that top two or three. At I the end agree. Of the they're season. four and oh. Like, yeah. They're like, four and it is entirely UConn. possible. Like th those guys, they fit so good. God, like I, we've talked about this. I'm a big puzzle piece guy. Like, Defender, check. Devin Carter, who's been awesome. Noah Locke, floor spacer, check. Rim attack guy and kind of explosive guard who's a little bit older. Bynum, check. Bryce Hopkins, potential biggest player of the year, check. And then you have those two fives that do different things, and you can switch up the way that you attack defenses. And Jaden Pierre, guys, yeah. like that dude, you want you need an injection of energy. He'll and bring coach. it. 
and the coach. And uh, yeah, Ed Cooley, of course. And mm-hmm. he's the one who brings all those guys together. And they and they were spreading their wings a little bit. Did, like he was letting them go. He was letting them go. And then you, he started to rein them back in. And you're really seeing a not a finished product, but a much cleaner product. Did he tell you he was looking for dogs? He was looking for toughness from his team. He hadn't found it yet. Mm-hmm. Guess guess what? He's the dog. He's yeah. the toughness. And his team then reflects it. This team's different than last year's. Al Durham was a dog. Nate Watson was a dog. I'll tell you what, though. They're they're real. They got UConn Wednesday. That's going to be fascinating. The amp is going to be wild. Then they've got St. John's on Saturday. They could be no worse than 5-1 and one in the Big East through 6. No worse. They're, lose, they're not losing to St. John's yeah, at I home. Think, I don't no, think they're are losing to St. John's. All I will say is this. Um, <laughs> no worse. All, yeah. The only thing I'll say is this. Uh, Ed Cooley's done a great job. He's a terrific basketball coach. If Nate McMillan is fired by the Hawks, I mean, that's the first guy you got to call is Ed Cooley, right? Doc Rivers oh, to go to the fired Hawks. by the Philadelphia 76ers. First guy you got to call is Ed Cooley, right? Am I right, fellas? When I fire Jeff Goodman, first guy I got to call Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley. Yeah, he'll so. start laughing if he heard Goodman got fired. Yeah, he yeah. did. He also, <laughs> he also, uh, he's a big fan of the. Uh, I, I sent him a whole bunch of the Friars. Good luck, um, shirts you? with the with the uh, with Shamrock on it. So hopefully, we'll be getting a picture of uh, Ed Cooley wearing one that also says, "I got one that says Jeff Goodman can't guard me." So if you want to get <laughs> any of those T-shirts, field of sixty eight dot shop. Check out the merch store. Hey, Listen, you know what? That's awfully nice that Cooley got one of those Friar shirts, and all I got the one is that says, "I love Dick" on there. <laughs> It's the only T-shirt I got. I didn't get a Phil 68 shirt. I didn't get this little microphone thing, like that thing that you have on yours. Those are cool. Well, Love to have you, one of those. You are a big dome guy. <laughs> big dome guy. <laughs> yeah. what, I need another T-shirt, man. And, well, the, the problem is we don't have any have size medium, right? You have a medium. We don't have a size medium. We have large. We have extra large. We have two X. Send me a large. Three. We have I'll three extra people large. the size of uh, Jeff Goodman. So, <laughs> listen. You know, it's funny. It, it's not funny, but it it was it made me chuckle. My daughter comes in. She goes, Daddy, I like your new shirt. She's four. It says, it says I love Dick on it. I'm just like, <laughs> Where, that, that shirt's going. That's going away. That's I gave going some, away. I gave, I gave one of those to my brother for a birthday, uh, for a, a Christmas present. Oh, nice. Because, uh, I bet I he loved it. Shirt. Yeah, he thought it was he thought it was pretty funny. He's a big Grady Dick guy anyway, so he uh, he laughed about it. But um, listen, if you're still here, uh, the Field of 68 Daily link is in the description below. Make sure you subscribe. Field of 68.shop. We got a bunch of cool stuff in the merch store. And as always, make sure you rank, review, subscribe, do all those good things. Uh, hit that like button. Tell your friends about us. For John Fanta, for Terrence Oglesby, my name is Rob Doster. We will see you guys again next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.